Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I think we have a rather fun one for you all, or at least one that could potentially be of extreme significance, not just for video games, but for YouTube, reaction videos, TikTok, news reports, and a whole number of other items. This was originally reported by Eric Gardner of The Hollywood Reporter, who said... The Supreme Court requested a response late last week in this case. We're going to talk about all of the process here as part of this video. That should put many in Hollywood at least on yellow alert. This was also tagged for me by follower of virtual legality and much appreciated Joseph LaRussa, who says, I'm assuming you've seen this, but tagging just in case may be worth the virtual legality. And indeed, as you can tell from this video, I felt that it was. Now, in order to understand what's happening here, we have to go look at what this petition to the Supreme Court actually says. It's originally summarized here as reported by Eric Gardner in the SCOTUS blog, which is not to be confused with something official to the United States Supreme Court. This is effectively bloggers and lawyers who just like to go over these things and have uh, made a pretty good profession out of it. I love this blog. If you're interested in these kinds of questions, check it out. They summarized the case before us as follows. Lenwood Hamilton is a former professional football player and wrestler. His likeness also appears as a fictional character in the video game Gears of War. Hamilton sued the game company and other defendants for violating his right of publicity. In response, the defendants claimed the protection of the First Amendment. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit resolved the dispute using the transformative use test. Recognizing that Hamilton and the character have the same skin colors, facial features, hairstyles, builds, and voices, the Third Circuit nevertheless noted differences in personality and profession. Hamilton has never served in the military or fought aliens that rendered Hamilton's likeness so transformed that it has become primarily the defendant's own expression. Among the arguments in his petition, Hamilton maintains that the Third Circuit's expansive test could allow shoot-em-up games involving the Dalai Lama or CGI pornographic films of famous actresses. So that's just the summary of what we're looking at right now. We're going to talk about the disposition, what the petition for cert means uh, from the plaintiff here, what status it has in terms of a response, as well as what is at issue. You can certainly tell just from this summary that there are issues of import here. This gentleman, Lenwood Hamilton, appears to have been used in Gears of War, although it's not alleged or anything in this summary, against his will. He describes himself as a pacifist, as we will see, and hates, abhors really, that he is a participant in this very violent video game, to which the Third Circuit basically said, actually, because you abhor it so much, that makes it more transformative and gives Epic and Microsoft a bigger right to use your likeness. I think for a lot of people, myself included, this kind of runs afoul of our own intuitive sense of justice. And so we have to talk about how the court arrives at this decision. In their own discussion, they say the right of publicity protects individuals from the misappropriation of their identities. Indeed, in virtual legality, we have talked about the right of publicity, right of publicity laws before. They are generally designed to guard against someone taking your likeness, how you look, putting them into one of their own products or otherwise their marketing, using it for a commercial purpose, and thus benefiting off of your reputation, your likeness, in a way that the law abhors. But as this court points out, The First Amendment protects the freedom of speech, including the content of video games. This is one area where I've touched on in virtual legality, but I haven't talked about a lot. The First Amendment is against a lot of what we talk about with respect to intellectual property. The Copyright Act, for instance, 
is effectively against a First Amendment right of freedom of speech or freedom of the press because it puts limits on what you can do with art and artistry that is already out there. Your right of publicity, however, isn't protected in the same way at a federal level as copyright, actual artistic works. And that has created a whole kind of miasma of different rights and tests that this petition to the Supreme Court is going to point out. Here in the Third Circuit, though, they say, well, because the First Amendment acts against the right of publicity, that creates a problem. To strike a balance between these competing interests, right of publicity and First Amendment, in right of publicity cases, whether the plaintiff's likeness is one of the raw materials from which the defendant's work is synthesized, or whether the depiction or imitation of the plaintiff is the very sum and substance of the work in question is of extreme importance. You are under this kind of test, allowed to use another's exact likeness as long as it isn't just that likeness that you are using. If it's just a part of something that is greater synthesized, you might be okay, as the court determines here. In other words, this transformative use test asks whether the product containing the plaintiff's likeness is so transformed that it has become primarily the defendant's own expression. And if you are listening to the words here, you might recognize some from other discussions we've had, most particularly in respect of the fair use of copyrighted materials, which has four different factors that a court will test against. But one of the primary ones is whether or not you have transformed what you are taking into something else. This appears to be a kind of offshoot of that copyright analysis, but also not including the rest of the balancing factors the rest of how your market is impacted, how much of it you used, all these various other things. Instead, the question becomes one solely of transformation. As the court determines here, no reasonable jury can conclude that Hamilton, whether Lenwood or Hard Rock, as his character in wrestling, is the sum and substance of the Augustus Cole character. Other significant differences reveal that Hamilton was at most one of the quote-unquote raw materials from which Augustus Cole was synthesized. In Gears of War, Cole fights a fantastic breed of creatures in a fictional world. Hamilton, of course, does not, nor has Hamilton served in the military. Compare it to Hart, which talked about video games and football players, where no transformative use where a game depicted digital football players doing what the actual football player did while at Rutgers playing college football in digital recreations of college football stadiums filled with the trappings of a college football game. There, the court has determined that that is a violation of the right of publicity where you are just taking something that exists in the real world and depicting it as a video game. But if you take that same Rutgers football player, says the Third Circuit here, and have them fight aliens on a different planet, even if it looks identical, even if the voice is identical, even if the tattoos are identical, then that's going to be okay because it's transformative. Hamilton himself admits that the Cole character's persona is alien to him, no pun intended by the court. This guy is ignorant, he's boisterous, and he shoots people, he cusses people out. That's not me, and it's totally against what I believe in. He stands for totally the opposite of what I was trying to do. If Hamilton was the inspiration for Cole, the court says, the likeness has been so transformed that it has become primarily the defendant's own expression. They actually use his quote about how much he hates this against him. Now, there are certainly areas, and we're going to talk about them as part of this petition, in which depicting someone, whether it's a celebrity or just another individual in the world, can have a useful merit, right? Even under problems that the person might have with them. They hate that this is depicted this way. It still makes sense to be able to show someone in a different light, whether for purposes of satire or parody or commentary or really all the things we talk about when we talk about the fair use 
of copyrighted materials. Here, this goes further because faces aren't copyrighted and they aren't copyrightable. And we'll talk about that as we look at this petition. But as I said, I think it's fair for people to look at this and say, they could just steal my face and my body and my likeness and put me into something that I abhor. Say it has the completely different political message than one that you like. And that's going to be okay by virtue of this kind of judgment and say, I don't know that that's okay. And I tend to agree with you. That isn't, however, the be-all and end-all of a Supreme Court certiori request. Here, we're looking now at the request of the plaintiff here, Mr. Lenwood, for the Supreme Court to look at this issue. Questions presented. The questions presented by this case, the reason the Supreme Court should take it up, are important. They're whether the First Amendment right to free speech protects using a person's actual likeness without permission when weighed against that person's property, privacy, and dignity rights against unauthorized use of his likeness. And two, whether the First Amendment right to free speech protects a video game maker's unauthorized use of a person's face and voice. And again, now those overlap a little bit. I actually think there are probably better ways to frame these questions. And we'll see that they do that in the arguments presented here. But it's important to note exactly how difficult it is to get the Supreme Court to look at one of these issues, right? The Supreme Court gets these petitions for certiori all the time. And the odds, as they say in this article from 1999, are not in your favor. Specifically, they are in your favor if you're the defense. The Supreme Court denies the vast majority of requests for review. 1,945 of the 2,130 so-called paid certiori petitions or appeals acted on during the court's 1995 term, so, you know, really up to date, but this is still a fairly useful construction of what happens even now, were turned down. So a huge number of these things are turned down by the Supreme Court. Why? Because the Supreme Court, at the end of the day, isn't very interested in correcting just mistakes about your particular case. Or as is described here, instead of seeking merely to correct erroneous decisions, the court is looking, Chief Justice Rehnquist has written, for cases involving unsettled questions of federal constitutional or statutory law of general interest. They are looking for big problems and they are looking for instances in which the various circuits and states of America don't agree on how to solve them. So one thing we're going to be keeping in mind here is, does this petition for certiori from this plaintiff make sense for the Supreme Court to take up? And I think, at least as written, they've done a pretty good job of describing something that is of interest to the Supreme Court. What is the discuss list is the next section I want to bring up in this particular article because it talks about the disposition that we are seeing right now. Eric Gardner is reporting the Supreme Court has requested a response to this petition that we are reading, which is one step above just kind of dismissing it out of hand. Or as described here, if the pool memo writer, or after reading the pool memo, one of the justices believes that despite a waiver of a brief in opposition, that the other side doesn't want to respond because it's not needed to respond, it's so minimal and it's such an obvious waste of the Supreme Court's time. Despite that waiver, the petition should be included on a discuss list for a conference vote to actually go before the justices and they can decide whether it's worthy of their consideration. He or she shall ask the clerk to call for a response. Now, this is again from the framework of somebody that is on the defense. A request for a response obviously must be taken seriously. It is not necessarily bad news, however. It does not mean that a grant is imminent or even that is under consideration. After all, the origin of the request will usually be some concern of a single law clerk or less often a single justice. They just want 
to talk about it. And they want to get that request so they can consider the issue more fulsomely. I also did want to note here as part of this article, and I do recommend it if you're interested in the process here, that one of the recommendations here for writing this response is this tone, a tone of bemusement of a patient adult dealing with a confused child is about right. I love litigators. I'm not a litigator. I'm a commercial transactions guy, but they are always thinking about these strategies for tone and concept. It's one of the things that we analyze here in virtual legality, of course. So what we're looking at right now is a petition for cert that has been requested by a plaintiff. And now the Supreme Court, or at least someone at the Supreme Court level has said, you guys need to respond to this so we can evaluate whether or not we're going to put the votes in to actually discuss this at the Supreme Court level. It is obviously an elevated setup than just getting the petition and throwing it out in the trash immediately. That's why Eric Gardner here reports on at least a yellow alert. Because if this case does go before the court, it means they've got some settling to do and they are going to try to identify what the proper test for this issue should be. And indeed, there's a lot to discuss. So let's dive in to this particular petition and talk about what they're requesting, why the Supreme Court, in my opinion, might well take it up and why it will be so important to video games, reaction videos, Hollywood movies in general. So they start out in their introduction by saying the following. Quoting a brief, the Third Circuit expressed serious concern in Hart versus Electronic Arts. That's the Rutgers college football player case that some variations of the transformative use test, the issue it here, could lead a court to wrongly find that there is a First Amendment right to place the image of the Dalai Lama or the Pope in a violent shoot 'em up game against their wishes. That fear is now realized. And I'm going to take a step back here for just a moment because I don't think that's a particularly great introductory paragraph to this particular brief. And I think that's because there are clearly instances in which putting the Dalai Lama or the Pope in a violent shoot 'em up game should be 100% allowed by the First Amendment. It's very easy to imagine a game that wants to comment on the Catholic Church or violence or violence in the Catholic Church by putting a depiction of the Pope, even the current Pope, in that violent shoot 'em up game to express some kind of political or other commentary. That is clearly going to be permitted under the First Amendment. The issue at this particular case is when somebody doesn't have any commentary on the individual in question, they effectively just think they look cool and they would look cool in my video game and whether or not that is a problem. I would start there in the introduction. Of course, I'm not in charge of any of this and hey, they got the Supreme Court to ask for a response. So who am I to judge? But I do think that it's a wrong place to start off because there are clear instances where that makes sense. Courts have wrestled with the First Amendment implications of using someone's likeness for decades. And without this court's guidance, they have developed myriad tests for determining when a person has a right to exclude others. The most prominent test is the Supreme Court of California's transformative use test, which the Third Circuit adopted and modified. But other tests have arisen. The Supreme Court of Missouri adopted the predominant use test, and the relatedness test has been used by Second and Fifth Circuits. The Sixth Circuit has used both the relatedness test and the transformative use test. And in this paragraph, you see them doing what I think they should be doing throughout, which is trying to establish for the Supreme Court that this is not just an issue with their own client and in the instant case, but also represents a significant and material split amongst the states and the circuit courts that the Supreme Court is really the only party in a position to properly address. So I think this is probably, if for any reason, the reason why you see the Supreme Court asking for a response here, because this division is at least described herein pretty significant and certainly of import as we do move into the 21st century and deep fakes and all sorts of things that really should be causing a lot of people pause, especially with the current state of the law. Here, the Third Circuit held 
under that transformative use test that the First Amendment provides companies a constitutional right to take a person's exact likeness and use it in video games or art or film so long as the likeness is used in an uncharacteristic way. In this case, changing the person's outfit and having him battle space aliens in a violent and gory video game. Indeed, it ruled that Hamilton's disgust with how Epic Games used his likeness weighed in favor of protection. Now, the First Amendment provides a negative right. It says that Congress won't do bad things and the various states won't do bad things against your freedom of speech or your freedom of the press. So it's not specifically a separate constitutional right as described herein as kind of a positive right. But this is a pretty good summary of what the court said, which is, hey, if you do something that is absolutely abhorrent to the likeness that you're taking, you're more likely to be protected. And I do think that's a potential problem for the justice of it all here. Under the Third Circuit standard, a pornographer can use the likeness of a star actress who has never done a nude scene to create a CGI pornographic film. And indeed, looking at the standards proposed under that transformative use test, I would fail to see how you wouldn't be allowed to do that under that standard, which I think a number of people, including myself, are going to have a problem with. A person can use a holographic version of a pro-gun celebrity actor to give a concert in support of gun control. And as here, a video game company can take a pacifist's face and voice and plaster it as a primary character in a war-raging video game. Indeed, neither the district court nor the Third Circuit offered a limiting principle as to how their test, if broadly adopted, would not create a free speech right allowing a filmmaker to include an entire song in a movie. The, free, the First Amendment free speech clause does not protect theft of a person's likeness in the name of art any more than it protects theft of a person's song or artwork. And again, here's a place where I think they go too far. They've got a lot of good claims here. The first part of this paragraph is useful to think about if you're a justice sitting on the Supreme Court and you say, huh, you know, that does seem a little bit iffy. But by the time you get down to there's no difference between your likeness and a piece of art, any justice, any lawyer that is at all involved in intellectual property would be easily able to point out that that isn't in fact the case. In fact, we did a video in virtual legality called No, Susie Liu, another YouTuber, doesn't have a copyright in her face. She was threatening DMCA takedown notices and various YouTubers. A number of people asked me to comment on this. And you don't have one in yours either. In fact, the copyright office says, hey, we cover works of our authorship. We will not register works produced by nature, animals, or plants. Likewise, the office cannot register a work purportedly created by divine or supernatural beings, such as, you know, God created you. Although the, although the office may register a work where the application or the deposit copies state that the work was inspired by divine spirit. Examples of these things we won't register is a claim based on the appearance of actual animal skin. You cannot copyright your face. And in fact, the Copyright Act itself is a specific constitutional power granted to Congress that is 100% at odds with the First Amendment. That's one of the reasons that the fair use kind of doctrine exists is to kind of make the First Amendment and the notion of exclusive copyrights in artistic work match up in a fashion that the law and the court system has allowed. Pretending that they are the same, pretending that likeness and copyright are the same is a problem unless you're advocating to Congress that they should be the same. And in fact, I think there are a couple of good cases here that would suggest, hey, maybe you should have some kind of latent copyright protection, or at least the fair use doctrine should apply to that exclusivity concept in your own likeness at the facial characteristics level, rather than just be limited to songs that you make or books that you write. But that is not the state of the law. That is not really what the First Amendment provides. And when you skip ahead like this, you say, okay, well, I mean, I know you're trying to advocate for your client, but this just flatly isn't true. 
This is an issue of extreme importance now that technological advance allows anyone to manipulate a person's face and voice digitally. And then you get some of the legalese, some of the structure they actually describe the individual in question here. They do bring up some good pictures here that suggest that that likeness was outright used. They connect the likeness, the individual that has it, to the individual that worked at Epic to create it in the Gears of War video game. And indeed, if you go back and you actually look at that Third Circuit case, it doesn't appear that the court is suggesting that the likeness wasn't taken, right? When you actually look at what the court says there, they just kind of assume that the likeness was taken. Even if that likeness was taken, it doesn't matter because it was so transformative. Which leads us to the legal arguments at issue in this case, right? Reasons for granting the writ. The circuits and state courts of last resort are divided on when the First Amendment protects using a person's actual likeness. And this is the kind of argument that can succeed when requesting a cert order from the Supreme Court. Hey, justices, we've got all these problems. The states don't agree how to handle them. We need somebody up above to explain to the states how this should be handled. I do think that's the kind of thing that sounds of a Supreme Court case. Thus, the right of publicity protects personal privacy interests, individual dignity, and property rights in addition to pecuniary interest. Also, the right to publicity, like copyright, and you see they kind of dovetail copyright and publicity in a bunch of different areas because they are similar in concept, even though the law doesn't treat them similarly, offers protection to a form of intellectual property that society deems to have social utility. While the interests protected by the right of publicity are clear, its scope is not. In Zucchini versus Scripps Howard Broadcasting Company, the court ruled that the First Amendment did not prohibit a right of publicity action based on a news program airing an entire 15-second Human Cannonball Act, 1977. As Justice Powell pointed out in his dissent to that case, however, the court's opinion offered no guidance in far more common context. Not to suggest that it's limited to Cannonball Acts, but it was limited in scope and application to a news program airing the entirety of an act that would otherwise lose all commercial interest from the market. Since then, the court has said no more, and the First Amendment doctrine has become a mess. In 1989, the Second Circuit applied a loosely defined test regarding the relationship between the identity taken and the overall work, subsequently dubbed the relatedness test. It ruled, the balance between customer confusion and free expression will normally not support application of the act, this case, the Trademark Act, unless the title has no artistic relevance to the underlying work whatsoever, or if it has some artistic relevance, unless the title explicitly misleads. So the court is coming down and saying, using things like the names Ginger and Fred, where Ginger Rogers thinks that that is a right of publicity issue or trademark issue against what she has put out there as her reputation uh, and her goodwill, won't hold up in court unless there is no artistic relevance or if the title explicitly misleads. So the court's already kind of siding more towards First Amendment concerns, as it generally does on these intellectual property questions. The Fifth Circuit nodded towards the relatedness test, but ultimately articulated an actual malice test. Then the Supreme Court of California devised this transformative use test. The court expressed a concern that the very importance of celebrities in society means that the right of publicity has the potential of censoring significant expression by suppressing alternative versions of celebrity images that are iconoclastic, irreverent, or otherwise attempt to redefine the celebrity's meaning. And a little bit between the lines here, this petition for certiori actually starts establishing what the problem with the transformative test is just by describing it. 
that saying that the state of California was trying to establish that we need to be able to parody and to satire and to have political commentary, much like the fair use test in respect of copyright. And that what has ultimately happened here, as we will see in this particular petition, is that California and the Third Circuit has effectively dropped that issue. (laughs) That in this particular case, they say, okay, yeah, sure, we need it so that you can have satire, and now we're not even going to require a satirical or commentary-based position. We're just going to allow likenesses to be stolen as long as they are quote-unquote transformative. Continuing with this petition, the Supreme Court of California considered adopting the fair use defense from copyright law, but determined without much explanation that some fair use factors would not apply to depicting a person's likeness. Presumably the factors related to the the entirety of the work and things like that. If you're depicting a likeness, you're depicting a likeness. It then determined that when a work contains significant transformative elements, it is not only especially worthy of First Amendment protection, but it is also less likely to interfere with the economic interests protected by the right of publicity. If you're putting a person in a completely different environment, like shooting aliens, then it doesn't affect their ability to economically use their right of publicity because nobody would confuse them as endorsing it or otherwise participating in it. I think that's pretty myopic if that is in fact the way the court described these things. And certainly you are seeing it writ large with a case like this one where a purported pacifist is being put into a game like Gears of War against his will and the court is saying, eh, I guess there's nothing you can do about it, buddy. The court also did not address the role the likeness plays in the artistic endeavor which of course indicates the expressive value of using the likeness. This comes back to that kind of copyright concept where you're allowed to use something, but if you're using it commercially, you have less of a chance of it being fair use. If you're using the whole thing, you have less of a chance of it being fair use. And it doesn't just come down to the transformational qualities of what you are using. The Tenth Circuit applied a similar test, but not an identical one. Thus, when applied to a video game representation of a college football player where his image was not used, but his physical attributes, number, height, weight, and biographical details were similar, the video game had not transformed his likeness. If you were just depicting this individual as a wrestler or even a football player in the various capacities that he had in his life, you wouldn't be deemed transformational. It's not just taking your likeness and making it digital. It's not just putting it in a video game that is the transformation here. The court is saying that it's actually putting it against your philosophy or in a different environment altogether that allows the Epics and Microsofts of the world to use it. The Supreme Court of Missouri rejected prior tests, focusing instead on the role the likeness played in the expression itself to balance the interest. Now, I actually like this one a lot better. It stated that right of publicity cases, both before and after Zucchini, focus instead on the threshold legal question of whether the use of a person's name and identity is expressive, in which case it is fully protected, or commercial, in which case it is generally not protected. The court recognized that both the relatedness test and the transformative use test have a fundamental weakness. They give too little consideration to the fact that many uses of a person's name and identity have both expressive and commercial components. They then render any claim untenable where there is an expressive component at all. Those these tests purport to balance the prospective interest involved, there is no balancing at all. Once the use is determined to be expressive, it is protected. The court thus promulgated this predominant use test. If the defendant's product exploits the plaintiff's identity for commercial advantage, it is not protected. But if the predominant purpose of the product is to make an expressive comment on or about the celebrity, the expressive values could be given greater weight. 
So you're essentially taking this and saying, okay, if you're using this individual in Gears of War, are you commenting on him as a person or what he represents in society? Or are you just using him because he looks great and he'll fit right into our game? If it's the latter, you've got a problem with this particular court, the Supreme Court of Missouri. If it's the former, you're going to be okay as long as you're commenting in some fashion, which of course mirrors what we have talked about with respect to copyright and fair use. Continuing, the Third Circuit in this particular case developed a new version of the transformative use test that is even more aggressive and is inconsistent with the California courts that invented the thing, thus creating another branch of analysis for addressing the First Amendment protection for using someone's likeness without permission. Hamilton made numerous allegations regarding the similarities in both physical appearance and voice between himself and Cole. Both Hamilton and Cole are African-American men with the same facial features and skin tone. Cole's voice sounds like Hamilton's. In fact, they had a number of experts say that they were the same. Cole's way of speaking sounds like Hamilton's professional wrestling persona. Cole's hair looks like Hamilton's. Cole's physique looks like Hamilton's. Hamilton also supported these factual assertions with declarations and expert testimony. This is not a transformative use, says this petition. It is incorporative. So they're juxtaposing these two concepts, right? That, hey, that person looks cool, he talks cool, we want him in our video game, is different than, hey, we're putting him in the game to comment on what he did in life or to comment on society in some functional way. Yet the Third Circuit ruled as a matter of law that Hamilton had no claim when defendants dressed that uncanny likeness up in battle gear and placed it in a war on an Earth-like fictional planet. Notably, neither the Third Circuit nor the defendants have cited a single case in which the transformative use test found First Amendment free speech clause protection for using a literal likeness when the artistic work was not a commentary on the person whose likeness was used, let alone a video game. I don't know about the let alone part. Video games are, in fact, artistic works. Sounds a little bit derisive there, but we'll allow it here in virtual legality. But it is worth noting right? They said all these tests are different, Supreme Court. You have to look at this question because of all these disparities. And note that even when we talk about those disparities, they are all trying to balance the First Amendment right to speak on things, on commentary, on things that are important to parody, to satire, to do those various things versus just taking somebody else's likeness and putting them in your thing, putting them in your commercial, putting them in your marketing materials, putting them in your reaction video on YouTube, your TikTok, whatever it might be, your tweets, and that this needs to be commented on because if you aren't making these kinds of bits of commentary, if you're just trying to use someone else's likeness to sell your thing, you probably don't get the same amount of First Amendment protection as others. And yet the Third Circuit didn't really look at that at all. Just said, hey, this guy never fought aliens. So if he never fought aliens, then he doesn't have a case here. And I think the petition in the instant case is right, that it probably shouldn't be dismissed so out of hand. That alone isn't enough to get the Supreme Court's interest, so it will be interesting to see whether or not they take up this case. The situation goes far beyond a mere circuit split. Courts across the country apply multiple different approaches to constitutional analysis. The time has come, says this petition, for this court to provide a test for courts and legislatures to apply when determining whether the First Amendment's free speech clause limits the ability to apply state or federal law to protect a person's identity interests. Again, That's not the right question. The First Amendment 100% undoubtedly acts against the right of publicity laws. The question is how much it does, what the scope of that is, and exactly what the courts should be doing about it. As this petition requests, the test that they are asking for should begin at recognizing that a person's face and voice may not be used without his or her permission. 
And that's never going to fly with what we know now as the law. They try to get around that by putting forth the following exceptions. With certain exceptions based on an implicit license people provide by going out into public or engaging in public acts such as newsworthiness, de minimis use, and use that obviously does not misrepresent the individual, such as parody and satire of the plaintiff's public acts. And again, I don't think we want the freedom of speech to be limited only to newsworthiness and public acts and things along those lines. So like most petitions, as we've discussed, when people bring legal claims against one another, this goes too far. But the court doesn't have to just take their word for it and devise a test that does exactly what they say here, rather than say the Supreme Court cases that we looked at from the various states. In the copyright context, Congress has adopted the fair use test to balance the party's interests. And this court has acknowledged that that balance does not violate the First Amendment. In fact, it actually is a lot more constitutionally strong because the right to protect intellectual property is granted expressly in the Constitution to Congress, whereas the right to protect privacy and publicity and these kinds of things are not granted as powers either to the federal Congress or the state Congresses. So you've got a little bit more squishiness around what is to be protected and what can't be under the rule of law when the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law, abridging the freedom of speech and of the press. So they have a much weaker case than just copyright and intellectual property as it stands right now. But I think they're right to point you in that direction to say, hey, Congress and the law in general has balanced these countervailing interests before. We should look at doing it again rather than just saying, eh, he transformed. He's fighting aliens now. Finally, they finish off this particular petition by just trying to hammer home that not only is it a split among the states, but it is also of extreme importance. In jurisdictions using the transformative use test, they say the lack of guidance from this court will lead to an extreme lack of protection for people's privacy and dignity under the guise of a free speech right. People do not have a First Amendment free speech right to others' likenesses any more than they have a free speech right to their songs, their paintings, or any other publicly available expression of themselves. Indeed, the personal interest in one's likeness is arguably greater than the interest in a song or a work of art. And indeed, it might be, but these are philosophical considerations and not legal ones. Whereas we just talked about, the Constitution puts forth the protection of intellectual property, not the protection of likenesses at a legal level, then saying that they are identical doesn't really help the court decide these things when that is flatly wrong. Certainly, likenesses, a general right of publicity, are worthy of protection, but that has to be run against the constitutional limits on the power of the governments in question. People constantly strive to protect their reputation, says the petition, and how other people see them. Celebrities provide myriad examples, such as actors and actresses who refuse to perform nude or even kiss another person on screen. Similarly, the vast majority of people who are not celebrities have economic privacy and dignity rights against, for instance, an ex-boyfriend digitally placing her face into a pornographic video. Thus, the property right in one's face and voice is more than just an economic right. These deep-seated interests are in greater danger than ever before. We are moving into a world in which it is technologically possible to take someone's likeness and do anything we want with it if unconstrained by law. And this also is true. The Supreme Court, however, may be the wrong place to bring this particular argument. The Supreme Court, ostensibly, when they're doing their jobs, and they don't always do so, and certainly reasonable minds can differ on when they do and when they don't, is not a legislative body. They aren't put in their seats to go and make changes to substantive law. They are there to interpret the laws that exist on the books, including the U.S. Constitution, the state constitutions, when they present federal questions, and the various statutes at issue. 
But what this petition says is true. Hey, if you've been on TikTok or Twitter or anywhere else, you've seen those crazy Tom Cruise videos where he's advertising a new website, only it's not Tom Cruise, and it's a deep fake video, which should put the fear of God into a lot of people who don't want to see their own face on a deep fake video doing something that they don't want. And so this is a critical question properly pointed at the legislature. Will the Supreme Court act on it on that basis? I have my doubts. But they probably will be interested in potentially taking it up at the Supreme Court for that divisiveness among the states and the circuits. So what we've got here is we've got an issue of extreme importance. That is accurate. We've got an issue where the states disagree on what should be done. We've got an issue where it expressly addresses concepts in video games, but also implicitly addresses things in movies, as the Hollywood Reporter reports, and in reaction videos on YouTube and on content creation in general. Because while I have said you can't copyright your face, maybe if the Supreme Court takes this up and changes things on a fundamental basis, you might have something that is the equivalent of copywriting your face. And if that does happen, no, the DMCA still can't be used because the C stands for copyright, but you might be able to make trouble for people that are otherwise exercising what we have previously thought of as their free speech right. So when Mr. Gardner here says in his tweet that Hollywood should be on at least yellow alert, I think it's more than Hollywood. It's really anybody that has ever commented on anything that has involved someone else's face or likeness in their materials, whether that's in movies and commentary and actors in those movies, or whether it's in other YouTubers or on TikTok or on Twitter. And certainly I think it's a a case worth following and one worth following if the Supreme Court takes it up most specifically. Certainly I think it does present an interesting item and I think the Supreme Court might just be inclined to take it even though they generally disregard all petitions for certiori with the exception of a small handful. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you found this topic exciting and interesting. We're talking about the business and law of video games, movies, music, television, and more all the time in this channel. Please consider supporting it. We have a Patreon. We have Streamlabs. We have t-shirts and mugs down below this video that you can check out. Or if none of those things appeal to you, just subscribing, ringing the bell, leaving comments for the YouTube algorithm, and telling your friends that we are here is so, so valuable to the channel. I can't express my appreciation enough. If you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.